Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two spies from Achaeth Grove to spy secretly saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Please be seated. Seems like whenever anyone stands up here on Sunday night, the subject material is going to be Joshua. Well, we started a study of how these books are interlinked together, and then we studied a, a series of studies uh, on Sunday evening with Michael, with Joshua, and then on Sunday morning with uh, the book of Revelation, and sometimes they hit just right. And so uh, we're not going to trample over where Michael is in his uh, his sermon series, so we're going to stick around Joshua chapter number 2 and make some observations that way. I hope you have one of these uh, handy-dandy uh, handouts. If not, they're on the um, lecterns in the back there. Uh, the outline for the book of Joshua, as, as we are producing this particular one-page outline booklet of each book of the Bible. The key word in Joshua is the same as the uh, theme of lads to leaders, courage. If you have to assign a key verse, I guess we'll assign verse number six, but as I would say, uh, they're all good, so read them all. It is Joshua and that phrase where he will make in chapter 24 in verse number 15, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And then he gives them the option. You can go back and serve those gods that are across that, that uh, river there. You can go back to that idolatrous worship that, that you were in. That's a possibility. Or you can choose to follow God who has taken us this far. And it's interesting to me that when Joshua makes this statement to the nation of Israel, he tells them flat out, you have the opportunity to choose. You can choose whichever one you want to, but Joshua would say, as for me and my house, then we're going to follow after what God has to say. The primary charge in this book is, is so that the nation of Israel will stay faithful. Uh, this book is written by a man by the name of Joshua. He was the successor of Moses after Moses died, leading the children of Israel. And there are at least five miracles found in this book. That's where the Jordan River stacks up on heaps, where the city of Jericho falls, where God destroys with hailstones, where God causes the sun to stand still for an entire day, and where manna stops just as quickly as it has begun. If you would like a five-point outline or a seven-point outline to the entire book. You can find that in Joshua 22 and verse 5. Here are the keys. Number one, take heed diligently. Number two, to do the commands. Number three, to keep the law of the Lord. Number four, love God. Five, walk in His ways. Six, cleave unto Him. And seven, serve Him with all your heart and soul. All that found within that one particular verse. And when you and I look at the idea found in the book of Joshua... The character, at least, that stands out to me the most is a lady who will be mentioned in more books 
in the New Testament than in the Old. It's probably one that we would not really want to be confronted with. Imagine if you could, polls would tell us that uh, Easter Sunday is the most well-attended Sunday service of the year, so they say. I don't know if ours changes that much, but let's suppose it does. And we have 1,000 people here on Easter. Do you think you would notice her if she walked in? There's a ton of people here. It's just a sea of humanity. Do you think you would notice her? In the clothing that she's going to wear? In the way she's going to look? What if she showed up in her quote-unquote work attire? Joshua chapter 2. We come face-to-face with the one who is mentioned throughout the entirety of the Bible by her profession. Rahab the harlot. You think if this room was packed full of a thousand people, you would see her when she walked in? You think she would be noticeably different from everyone else? Let me ask you this question. I see you shaking your head. Would you go greet her? Now, let's just pull the curtain back and be just as as real as we possibly can with this idea. And my answer is, I'm not sure I would. How awful is that of me? What if the preacher is seen speaking to the harlot? What will they think about him? How quickly... Do you think this idea of Rahab, or the preacher talking to Rahab, would be, how quickly do you think it would spread across Hot Springs? Or Arkansas? I know my folks back home like a good juicy tidbit. How quickly do you think it would spread all over Alabama? She was known by what she did. She was known by her job and by her actions. And just calling out her address, people would know exactly what that is. If you've ever spent any time in Memphis uh, and perhaps even lived near or around there, or if you're wise to the Memphis area, you know where uh, 201 Poplar is. That's the jail. What if we were just to say her address right out there and everybody went, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that place. She, she can't even go home and, and get away from the shame that's associated with her and her work. And she's lost. And there's nothing that can be done to save her. Right? Right? Hmm. When you and I further read about her, we further read about her in Matthew, we read about her in Hebrews, we read about her in James. 
When we read about her first in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 5, we see her mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. When we read about her in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 31, to say, by, uh, by faith Rahab was saved when she... Mm-hmm. You read about her in, in James, and what will you read? Was not Rahab saved by works when she... When we look at her in the book of Joshua, we shrink away from her because we don't want to be associated with her. When we see her in Matthew and Hebrews and James, enough time has passed to where it doesn't seem to be as bad. Well, listen. She was lost. Her job choice was a terrible job choice. The lie that she will tell in Joshua chapter 2 is still a lie. And it's still wrong. But, and this is a very important but. But, she did change. Notice this. Chapter 2, verse number 1, was read for us so wonderfully just a moment ago. Go back to it. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out spies, two men secretly. He said, go to land even Jericho. And they went and they came to a harlot's house named Rahab. And I have this circled in mine. And they lodged there. a whole lot of problems I have with that three-word statement, they lodged there. Because I wonder what people thought about them. Then I think about them how I would think about them. Then I say to myself, well, they probably didn't think much about them since they were so different. But it is when they lodge there that God confronts her with truth. In John chapter 4, there's a woman sitting at the well. Would Jesus be sitting there? He would look at her and he would say, Woman, give me something to drink. And she would nearly about drop everything that she had because he spoke to her. He, a Jew, spoke to her, a Samaritan. As a matter of fact, he didn't just say to her, give me something to drink. They went from that point in time and had a long conversation. And in that conversation, Jesus would confront her with her life. Remember this statement? You say, truly, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one that you're with ain't your husband. Woo! Hmm. Jesus just uh, sort of cleans off the back porch, doesn't he? Here's, what, here's where it is. Here's how it lies. Here's where you are. What are you going to do with it? Acts chapter 8. You have this eunuch who's leaving Jerusalem, who has been up there to worship. And you know, as we look at him going up there to worship, what we see is a man who is dedicated to what he knows, what he knows or what he thinks he knows is true. That's a long ride 
for three or four times a year. That's a long ride for someone who can't even go into the worship service. He has to stay out in the court of the Gentiles and in the court of the women because of him being a eunuch. You know, it's Philip who confronts him on the way home where he says, do you understand what you read? He says, I don't have a clue what I'm reading. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? What's he talking about here? It'll be Philip from that point in time who preaches unto him Jesus, even from the book of Isaiah. In Acts chapter 10, Jesus confronts Peter himself as Peter would back off and try not to convert uh, Cornelius. He, he was looking for anything. As a matter of fact, toward the end of chapter 10, when he says, can anyone deny Cornelius uh, the right to be baptized? He's not asking him as saying, look how good he is. No one can deny this. He's begging for someone to come up with something so we don't have to put a Gentile in the water. And that woman, when she spoke to Jesus at the well, was lost. That eunuch who's riding back home who thinks he is following after God is lost. Peter, refusing on the basis of race to baptize someone who believes in God, is wrong. Let me tell you something. It's not until souls are confronted by God that unwinnable souls are changed. It's not until that point. Do you remember? Do you remember when you were studying with someone? They were sitting across that table from you and, and they expounded unto you the truth of God's Word and you finally saw it. It's because you were confronted with truth. And when you recognized that truth, you had to do something with it. Why are these spies lodging there to confront her? Why? Because she's lost. That's why. Notice this. Here's what she heard. Joshua chapter 2, verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. As she goes on, he says, And uh, before they were laid down, it came upon them on the roof. And she said, I know. Look at verse 10. For we have heard, in verse 11, We have heard for the Lord your God. He is in heaven above. We know that story. She's, she is laying them down to, to cover them over with stalks of flax. And, and she begins to say about what she knows and how she has found those things out. The evidence that she has of God convicts her. Let me tell you what you just saw in Joshua chapter 2, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You saw the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You have seen the point in time in which faith is being built in this lady's life. That's what you have seen right there. It's amazing to me that, that we look at faith and we place it in some sort of idea that it cannot be uh, described or identified. That if somebody has faith, they just have faith. That, we're not talking about a blind faith. We're not talking about a, a faith where she has to put away everything she knows and thinks and understands, and she has to become a, 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 an idiot savant in order to follow after God. What we're talking about is a pure biblical faith that's based on evidence. That's what faith is based on, evidence. What about Thomas? 
Remember Thomas in Acts, not you, but Thomas in Acts chapter, or John chapter 20, when those disciples came to him and said, we've seen the Lord, and, and he said, listen, I'm not going to believe it till I can put my fingers into the nail prints and my hand into his side. Matter of fact, we look at that particular portion of Thomas's life and we say, see, you see how doubting he was? Hmm. You see how he wanted the evidence? It is the case for everyone I know who preaches the gospel. Who, if they do not say it every time they stand up, it's always implied. And the implication is this. You check out what I'm saying, see if it's true. If it is, follow it. If it's not, reject it. F-A-I-T-H is built that way. Find it in Acts chapter 2, verse number 37, as, as Peter uh, begins to eloquently uh, start the sermon and he gets cut off as seemingly right at the beginning of the introduction of a, of a good sermon that should have last, at least lasted four or five chapters. They stop him right at the introduction and say, what can we do to satisfy the justice of a riled up God? And it's a good question that they ask. Did they know who God was before this? Oh, yeah. Do they know really who he is now? They have a better picture. And what they know is this God of heaven and earth that we have been serving for all of our lives is upset with us because we have killed his son. And in faith, they said, what can we do? Find her in Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 12. After she has that evidence and after she is confronted, look at verse number 12. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Father, since I have showed you kindness, that you will show kindness under my Father's house and give me a true token. She knows what's about to happen to the city. Just a few chapters over, four chapters over in chapter 6, Jericho is going to fall. Not only is it going to fall a little bit, it's going to fall completely, and everything's going to be utterly destroyed. She knows that, and she doesn't want to fall by that same edge of the sword. And so she talks to the spies and asks for mercy. Are there any results? Notice this. When someone is confronted and someone is convicted, that will equal, equal a conversion every time. Every single time. Reread back through Joshua 10 through 12, and you'll see her say, because I've seen this, and because I know this, and because I've heard this, and because your God is the God of heaven, and in the God on earth, and is the one true God, because I know that, I want to strike some sort of deal. I want salvation. Now, Right now, as she's carrying on this conversation, as we're reading it in real time, her salvation is from an utter destruction that's going to happen to her city. In the bigger picture, 
as she asks for salvation. Can you see yourself being confronted with the truth and convicted by it and saying unto God, I want salvation? How do I get that? I want salvation. Notice what happens in verses 13 through 17. So they, they strike a deal. And uh, the, the, the spies say, we're going to make a deal with you. Here's the deal. If you'll put outside of your window a scarlet, a red cord, a red rope. I think in the King James it says thread. I'm going to guarantee it's bigger than a thread. As they probably have eyes like mine. Need a bigger piece of material so they can see it. If you'll hang that outside of your uh, window and everybody stay inside the house. Now don't leave that detail out. Everybody stay inside the house. Then nothing will happen to your family. But if you put it outside the window and you just start kind of marching around the house like look at us, we're going to be saved by Joshua and his men. We can't guarantee your safety out there. Stay inside. And so she does. She hangs that scarlet thread out the window. She and her family stay inside. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 25, her family and her extended family that's inside that house are saved because she did what she was supposed to do in order to be saved by the army of God. I'm going to tell you this. There's probably no salvation coming to you if you stick a red cord, a red uh, rope outside your window today. So what's the, what's, the, uh, what's the principle for us today? The principle for us today is this. Number one, folks need to be confronted with the truth. You remember that old song we used to sing so many years ago, you never mentioned him to me? You remember the scene it painted where, where the, the singer there is sort of waiting in line uh, on the day of judgment and someone up the line kind of looks back and, and that singer catches his eye. Knowing exactly the punishment he's going to face, this one up the line, he looks back at the one singing and said, you never mentioned him to me. Why not? You saw me day by day and, and you knew I was lost. You knew I was astray. And yet you never saw the need to tell me about him. Hmm. People deserve to know what the truth is. Whether they do anything with it or not, they deserve to know what the truth is and the standard by which they'll be judged. When, that, when we confront them with the truth, then allow the evidence of God to convict the soul. It's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. to present the gospel in its purity to someone knowing they have all the information that they need and then allow them 
to make the decision. It's very hard to take those steps back. Because what I want to do is grab them and say, you've got to do this. Because that's how important it is. It's very hard to take that step or two back and let them come to that conclusion. But if we don't, we have taken the power of the Word of God to convict man away by our wanting to convince them so thoroughly. You know what's good for folks sometimes to see? Sometimes it's good for folks to, to realize how deep the slop is in the hog pen. Sometimes it's good for them to be able, you know what a hog pen smells like? Sometimes it's good for them to smell that smell. Sometimes it's good for them to look around and go, what in the world am I doing here? When you have someone who's confronted with truth and they are convicted with that, then that lost soul will then be converted. When I asked the question, do you know what a hog pen smells like? Miss Brandy was one of the many here who shook her head yes. You think you'll ever forget that smell as it permeates into your hair? You think that one who was confronted with the truth and then was convicted by it, you think they'll ever forget that smell? Of just how dirty and disgusting and awful sin is, only to be presented with the fact that as they come back home to that father, he's going to wash them. Give them new clothes, new rings, New shoes. It's good for people to look back. It's good for us even to look back and see where we were and where we're headed. So for us today, here's what we need to know. And here's what I'd like you to take from Joshua chapter number 2. This unwinnable soul who we didn't want to look at when she walked in the door because we were afraid of what people would say about us. God saw as a winnable soul for him. God saw as one of the major cogs in the lineage of his son. And the fact of the matter is this, the only unwinnable soul that's found on this earth is the soul that we decide not to teach. Instead of allowing that person to choose to follow God or not to follow God, we have simply said for them, we're not going to give you the opportunity. And here's the sad fact. We will answer that question one day from our Father. Why didn't you give him a chance? I sent my son. He gave his blood on that cross for everybody with the exception of this one person that you wouldn't tell. Oh, my. Didn't Jesus die for them too? Sure. 
You know what he died for? He died for men and women. He died for factory workers. He died for auto mechanics. He died for teachers. He died for preachers. Don't think just because you're in this job, the temptation is not there. Don't think just because you have uh, good, uh, good office mates like I have that uh, the temptation is not there, because it is. And we may at one point in time have been a winnable soul to God, and now we find ourselves on the outskirts because we have walked away. Brother, sister, don't let Jesus have died in vain. Don't let that blood have been spilled for, for no good reason. Just don't answer, just think aloud in your mind, because this could be embarrassing. Have you put on Christ in baptism? If the answer is no, you need to, and you need to tonight. This is the, the best I can give you. Uh, he is, God is waiting for you. The, the sacrifice has been made. All you need to do is come and uh, be adopted into his family. Now, for everyone who has shaken their head, yes, on, I have put on Christ in baptism. Are you acting like a Christian? I don't, I don't know how really to put that sentence other than that way. Are you acting like a Christian? That's a 168-hour-a-week job that you and I, as the children of God, must transform our life into. If you've not been acting like a Christian, come home. Come back to a God that's waiting for you and to a family that loves you. And do those things right now while we stand and while we sing.